I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief. You're listening to EE Times On Air. And this is your weekly briefing for the week ending August 6th. This episode is brought to you by Power Integrations, innovation in power conversion. The Internet of Things is an enormous, shambling beast of a concept. So big, it is difficult to get your arms around it. And yet, as a concept, it's so limited. If you take the phrase literally, it refers only to machines interacting with other machines. People are left out of the equation. People have been interacting with all sorts of machines, from coffee machines to virtual reality headsets to smart home equipment. And as the years roll on, we'll be interfacing with many, many more electronic systems. This week, we're going to be talking about the Internet of Everything. So if the Internet of Things is a vast subject, the Internet of Everything is, well, bigger. We thought it might be useful to get some perspective on how big, so we went looking for someone who could provide that perspective. Our guest this week is John Smee, the Vice President of Engineering at Qualcomm Technologies, one of the key companies contributing to the standards and technologies that the Internet of Things and the Internet of Everything will be based upon, notably 5G wireless connectivity. We'll get to our interview with John Smee in a moment. First, here are some of the things you can read about in EE Times this week. Taiwan is home to a thriving electronics industry, including two major semiconductor foundries, one of them the world's largest and most technologically advanced. Taiwan has geopolitical significance, and its plans are important. We're pleased to have an exclusive interview with Taiwan's Minister of Science and Technology, Tsang Tsung Wu. There was another significant acquisition announced this week. Marvell is in the process of buying Innovium for $1.1 billion. During the first half of the 2010s, Marvell's reputation had more to do with accounting regularities than with technology. In the last four years, new management has reinvented the company as a specialist in high-speed networking technology suitable for data centers, 5G networks, and the automotive market. Marvell had been lacking a silicon photonics line. That's what it'll be getting by buying Innovium. With the U.S. government on the verge of passing legislation to support the American semiconductor industry, Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger made an unprecedented visionary proposal. He's talking about a $15 billion semiconductor city. We've also got our latest installment of our Artful Engineer video series, This time around, Junko Yoshida talks with an applications engineer from Texas Instruments who happens to have perfect pitch, a skill he leans on to help create vocal harmony arrangements for a cappella groups. For all of these stories and more industry news and analysis, visit our website at eetimes.com. If you're on this podcast episode's webpage, look to your left and you'll see links to all of these stories we mentioned today. The Internet of Things began before it was even called the Internet. Back when the network was still referred to as ARPANET, a couple of geniuses at Carnegie Mellon University hooked up a soda pop vending machine so that they could check on its inventory and make sure the cans were cold. That was in 1982. In 1991, after the network had been officially renamed the Internet, 
and open to the public, researchers at the computer lab at the University of Cambridge hooked up the coffee pot in their break room so that they could tell if it was empty or full before walking all the way over to it. The coffee pot was one of the most popular sites on the web for 20 years. Somewhere between the soda machine and the coffee pot, someone coined the term Internet of Things, though the phrase wouldn't enter the popular lexicon until the 1990s. That's when networks started getting sophisticated enough to handle tens of millions of something. In this case, it was people signed up to AOL, CompuServe, Prodigy, Genie, and other internet service providers. At that point, it became easy to imagine the network expanding to billions and billions of connections, and including everyone's coffee pot, and thermostat, and industrial robot, and car, and, well, you have the picture. Qualcomm Technologies' expertise is in connectivity. It is among the more influential companies contributing to the development of 5G standards and providing 5G technology, one of the bases for the Internet of Things. John Smee joined Qualcomm in 2000, and he's been involved in developing cellular wireless technology going back to the 3G CDMA era. He's now Vice President of Engineering and oversees all 5G research projects at Qualcomm. He also leads Qualcomm's company-wide academic collaboration program across technologies including wireless, semiconductor, multimedia, security, and machine learning. 5G, when it was first devised, was supposed to have ushered in the Internet of Things in earnest. The original vision of 5G was that it would be far more widespread and used more extensively than it actually is, however, several years after it was introduced. Even skeptics, and I am most certainly one of those, have to admit it's a matter of when, however, not if. But that begs some questions. How extensive is the Internet of Things already? How big can it get? especially when you expand the definition to the Internet of Everything. What's the role of connectivity options such as 5G? And which 5G? A quick bit of background for those of you who don't eat, breathe, and sleep 5G. The organization that manages the development of cellular standards is the 3GPP. The 3GPP has a roadmap of successive improvements in cellular technology. This includes not only Big leaps, such as the one from generation to generation, such as from 3G to 4G or from 4G to 5G, but also intermediary improvements within each generation. Each step is referred to as a release. By the way, in any given release, there might be additional minor improvements proposed and adopted. Those are called stages. Now, we're currently in release 15, and that's where our conversation with SME begins, with a question about the progress of 5G releases and what the schedule will mean for the Internet of Things. Here's John SME. There's stuff that's officially like in the works based on release 15, 16, 17. And yeah. just, you know, as you sounds like you already know, like 17 is like, you know, more than half done. Like it's definitely in good shape, moving along, meetings all the time. Uh, whereas 18, at least for certain parts, is going to start in 2022. And then so if 18 finishes mid-23, as you say, by the time it shows up in the field, it's 25. And so what's interesting, if we want to talk about 5G evolution, there's also just yeah a lot of stuff that's that's intermediate term, I would say, based on what's 
in the works now and a bunch of even the advanced demonstrations we showed as an example, a bunch of the videos that I don't know if Aaron and others were able to, to pass your way, but a bunch of content is up on YouTube now of my team and myself kind of taking through some of those technology advancements. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can also talk a little bit on the longer term stuff of what are some of the bigger potential next steps? And if that's where if you kind of design more in a hierarchical framework, say, well, there's the first half of 5G, that's everything that's now in the next few years. And then there's actually an even bigger thing that's coming called 5G Advance, which is gonna, you know, it's like we're we're halfway through this nine inning baseball game and there's there's literally four or five innings to go. And so, and that's gonna release as 18, 19, 20, and that's gonna be commercialized, you know, literally uh, 2025 all the way through until quote unquote 6G shows up um, and all that stuff. So there's a lot of stuff ahead and I think I'm sure one of the challenges of your job as well with there having been like almost so much discussion, people say, oh, 5G was a singularity, happened in 2020, let's all, you know, go play some other sport and we'll come back in 2030 versus it kind of unwinds over time. Yeah. And it's only, it's also unwinding based on new stuff being added into it. Yeah, yeah, and um, obviously that's one of the key things that our team does at Qualcomm is drive that technology evolution um, to make sure that the people who did invest early, some of those investments were a little bit based on faith of hey, there's going to be some pretty cool stuff. This is the right path. I like the upgrade opportunities. I don't entirely know what's going to be coming in 2025, but I know if I invest in 2019 and 2020. I'm on that forward compatible roadmap for the next 10 years. And so that's part of the, um, the different sorts of ecosystems and industries. You could talk about smart hospitals, smart factories, smart schools, smart city. That's all, in my view, absolutely going to happen. But it happens in a period of time that is leveraging these large investments also made by the fact that I'm holding a 5G smartphone, watching uh, streaming video and all that awesome stuff, doing Teams calls and Zoom calls on my phone in a way that I really wouldn't have thought was a great idea a few years ago, right? So there's certain things where there's the mobile broadband core that is, is central to the monetization in the short term. But the reason these investments are being made is not um, because people love that, they do, but it's also because they really do see these expansion opportunities. So anyway, so that's where the short answer is yes to both. And then the long <laughs> answer is like, and that's kind of why. So um, I wa we wanted to kind of uh, keep the discussion focused on, on the IoT, but yeah. that's a weird focus because it's an enormously broad area. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it would be ironic if you had said we want to keep it focused on IOE, where E means everything, official oxymoron in and of itself. So, yeah, so let's focus on one of the one of these things, which is a word for a billion things. So but we can talk about IOT in a general sense mm -hmm. uh, where T is, you know, things. And and what kind of what it means is it's not just people using their phones. And and that is pretty transformational. And it's an interesting, there's a couple of lenses to view it from. Like as an example, one is like, is the data of value to you as a human? So you're watching your favorite 
show that just got, you know, the new episodes released last night. Sure, the values to you, the content was created maybe in a studio, maybe 18 months ago, 24 months ago, depends on the uh, editing times these days in COVID. But the point is, that's a pretty straightforward value proposition of, of who's in the value chain, people who made the content, the people who wrote it, the people who acted in it, the way it got uh, distributed, the way someone you're paying some monthly fee for certain types of uh, subscriptions, the fact that it's in this awesome cell phone that's in your hand that's got great 5G connectivity, the fact that it's going through a network that's got 5G connectivity, the fact that an operator invested in that, the fact that there's spectrum deployed for that. Well, that's part of a human driving value. And what's a little bit interesting then, as we'll talk on the IoT, it's about well, what about all the other op applications where people say smart city, sure, you could talk about the city workers getting more access to information and all that good stuff, uh, but it's really also all of the other stuff of that connectivity, uh, whether it's sensors or you know things relating to some of these more industrial applications that have what I also call kind of beyond human requirements. So it's not just it's latency that's useful for you as you're watching streaming video, but with all honesty, that's not incredibly latency sensitive because you can buffer it a little bit. It's not exactly real time. But if you start doing augmented and virtual reality and you're interacting immersively, then latency matters. But it also matters to an AGV, right? It also matters to people using uh, technology to increase their productivity in workplaces. So if you're using it in a factory and you're fixing a turbine as an industrial worker, then all those requirements are higher. And that's one of the things 5G was designed for. And so that's also an interesting discussion where it kind of pivots from like the entertainment side to the human industrial side. And then the next one is when you have the AGVs and the robots that are moving things where the precision is beyond you know what most com consumer applications need. I'm fascinated because when you jump from IoT to IOE, uh, and you're talking about so many different applications. I mean, I think 5G was always envisioned as yeah, you can you can get video on your phone faster, but you were always able to get video on your phone okay, yeah. right? So this is you know there's there's definitely an improvement, but we're going that way anyways. But the it's all of those other applications, like as you said, the things, um, and the, some of that stuff wasn't happening. Everybody always thought that, like uh, you know, vehicle to vehicle communication yeah. would be like one of the big ones right away, and we're still waiting for that one. But there are so many others, and and you mentioned uh, using it in industrial and in factories and automation. But then the conversation shifts again in terms of who provides the connectivity. When I first heard of 5G, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be the Verizons and China telecoms and oranges of the world that are going to be providing this. And now we're talking about, oh, well, you know, uh, GM or Mercedes-Benz could spin up their own 5G network for their own purpose. As Qualcomm, do you put them in different buckets? Are they separate lines of attack or are they all just 5G and, you know, it's it's who gets access to it or how they, they monitor access to it? No, no, that's a good question, Brian. I would say it is a continuum, but at the mm -hmm. same time, a little bit what you're talking about is 
is you can talk about public networks and private yeah. networks. Right. And it's that ability to have more people deploy the network or more businesses deploy their own network on their own premises. And so it is one of those things where one of the exciting expansions of 5G is the fact that, hey, you can, for example, deploy even on unlicensed spectrum, a standalone 5G private network. And so that's an example where you can use unlicensed spectrum and use 5G RAN. And as an example, you know, Qualcomm's now, you know, entered the infrastructure market for 5G with small cells and designing, uh, you know, integrated RAN platforms, radio units and DUs, distributed units. And one of the reasons is to increase the number of participants in the wireless ecosystem. And so they're absolutely uh, operators are deploying 5G, but there's also um, many other industries who are strongly assessing, hey, I think 5G is going to be right for a lot of my applications because I need to have my, you know, location have that incredibly high performing connectivity. And it's because I want to connect my workforce. And I don't know exactly what my workforce is going to be doing five years from now, but I know we have to be very nimble. I know we have to be using information more real time. So I need my employees, for example, they're likely to be wearing augmented reality headsets if I go long enough into the future. And we're already seeing a very healthy and growing augmented and virtual reality 5G market because not only is the processing getting better, the visual computing is getting better, but the content, the applications, the utility is really starting. People are really examining, huh, if I had this information, and I didn't have to be, you know, using my hands as a modality to, to get the information uh, to do my job. And it was just more naturally occurring in relatively light glasses. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden that is a game changer because I can res respond to more real time information. That's the right information that, that I want to do this particular task. And so those are examples where we see people wanting to add 5G into their own planning um, for their Location. So whether they are operating a factory, operating a warehouse, operating a logistics center, or even a hospital or a school, they're saying, hey, I think 5G is going to be very useful because when I project what I'm going to want to have connecting people and then going back to the IoT, absolutely also connecting things. And those things are going to be trained on data, uh, whether it's for, you know, predictive maintenance or whether it is because uh, they're get they're basically doing processing logs and they're exchanging. Hey, these these are the readings of of a bunch of these sensors. Uh, I don't necessarily need a person to come check on it every single day to read all the things, make sure it's working within the bounds of expected behavior. Instead, that data is being transferred and is able to go into a big data processing algorithm. So I think one of the exciting things, just as we talk of the continuum of public network all the way into a private locally deployed network, well, we can also look at the cloud all the way to machine learning on a device. And then you bring in the role of the edge cloud and the edge processing, similar to the way you could bring in in a private network, a locally deployed 5G private network to the edge of that uh, infrastructure. So it's an interesting continuum of where the information is. So it's, inf it's information that's useful to who and when and how, and then all of a sudden, where the data is stored, the role of privacy, the role of being able to process things with better scale at the edge of the network. So if we look at intelligent connectivity, 
we look at a fair amount of stuff being processed locally within the device. So that's right. one of the reasons that for Qualcomm, having AI and ML on device and making sure that's done in a power efficient way, that's incredibly important from a technology standpoint because the answer isn't that every single piece of a bit of information has to go all the way back to the cloud 50 milliseconds away and then get processed and come all the way back all the way to the edge device. So there's many applications where you want more local inference or decision making. Right. And then also even more local filtering of like, hey, you know what, we're going to leave this on the device. We're not going to send this maybe because mm -hmm. of privacy reasons or maybe it's going to get anonymized before it gets shared. And so that information generation, the contents being generated closer to the edge from all these sensors mm -hmm. and it's being applied closer to the edge because that's where the people are. That's where the things are. That's where the value is being realized. And so that kind of also goes into this perspective of edge data and edge connectivity and IoT. And so IoT is not only about wide area sensors uh, for, you know, people would often give the example five years ago of a water meter so the person doesn't have to come and read something at your home. It's just sending right, a few bits right. of information, uh, you know, whether it's a couple times a day or a couple times a month, it's a relatively infrequent, low power connectivity. Well, that's one extreme point to many of these other ones where it's actually uh, ultra reliable, low latency communication. And it's generating a lot of data that these important control packets need to get through because say it's an AGV, um, you know, an, basically a guided vehicle on the ground of, for example, a factory where it's exchanging positioning information, it's interacting mm -hmm. with the equipment around it. And that's a time sensitive local context for something that is is um, you know very high degree of reliability needed, and also low latency, then things are happening faster, with faster response time, with more critical delivery. So it's an interesting expansion of the 5G IoT opportunities um, into those factory settings, and yeah. I think that that's a good example where, if we look more generally at, at 5G and releases 15, 16, and 17. Uh, that is that first half of 5G where, you know, release 15 was the foundational baseband, the mobile broadband, millimeter wave connectivity. And 16 made a lot of that better with improvements, mm -hmm. uh, core mobile broadband features, whether it's you're improving massive MIMO mobility and, and millimeter wave aspects. So a lot of interesting improvements in release 16, but release 16 did also bring in that industrial time-sensitive networking. Right. And it brought in connected vehicles with the beginnings of the Vita X design in 3GBP. So that release 16, which is now complete, brought in those uh, beginnings of that industrial expansion to connected vehicles and connected factories with the industrial IoT part. And release 17, as an example, mm -hmm. continued that, where it put in some further enhancements to those use cases as well as you know, brought in something like satellite connectivity for cellular was brought in like this non-terrestrial networks was brought in release 17. So it's just an interesting example where every release will typically address some evolutionary improvement aspects, as well as some of these expansion aspects. And I think that's where, as people say, hey, so 5G is not this singularity that it's in 2020 and then nothing happens for 10 years. There is this kind of every couple of years or 18 months there's another release with more content. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and that is one of the 
exciting points of inflection we're at now where people are saying, hey, with release 18, let's use that as an opportunity for found new foundational improvements in 5G, the beginning of 5G advanced. And so while that's not going to show up in products for a few more years, mm -hmm. it's something that releases 18, 19, 20 are going to set the stage for this second half of 5G and a lot of that further improvement. So what's interesting, when we at Qualcomm look at these long-term research vectors, uh -huh. a lot of this long-term stuff can be applicable for 5G advanced. So we're bringing some very interesting ideas like full duplex communication and flexible duplex, different ways of transmitting and receiving signals to improve coverage, to improve latency, to improve reliability, mm -hmm. or even the role of machine learning in wireless itself. So not machine learning to tell the difference between a cat and a dog, but machine learning to improve you know, the energy efficiency of the network, to improve mobility, right. to understand, hey, when am I gonna wanna make a handoff based on processing and moving from a more a kind of uh, to use a technical term, like moving more to a predictive model. Right. I have an update. I can almost guess this guy's going to turn left here, and I can almost pre, um, you know, set up the handoff. I can understand the traffic patterns a little more intuitively, you know, so that I can better deliver the bits at the reliability at the right capacity, you know, for this particular cell. And so there's different examples where machine learning can come in in a big way into 5G or even just kind of new ways of looking at higher frequency bands. So release 18 will have some very compelling study items that might show up then as content from a work item that is a, a specification in release 19. Mm -hmm. So it's just an example where some of the big studies can translate into these, these further evolution of 5G into 5G advanced. And so when we look at, at things like um, the IoT and 5G, it's really going to be this continuum of expansion. And so new use cases will come and new ecosystems will develop. And I would say we're at the beginnings of, of many parallel excursions of looking, okay, what's the best way to apply uh, from a 5G use case standpoint <laughs> into what are the needs for the, uh, if we look at, you know, reconfiguring a hospital, you know, what are the sort of you can imagine just how much equipment and how much data and and even uh, being able to have the caregivers, whether it's a doctor or a nurse, a physician's assistant, all of them have access to the right information at the right time when information is quickly changing and new studies are being done. And right. at the same time, there's a patient right in front of them who uh, you're getting the data from that very patient instantaneously. So you're able to fuse long-term learning with intermediate-term learning with instantaneous real-time data for, for example, a particular patient. So that's an example of when we look at a connected hospital of the future and the 5G ability to improve um, the overall delivery of healthcare, there's many exciting areas where that can, can add um, significant utility. So those are discussions we're having with companies in that space mm -hmm. who are um, really understanding that need for reconfigurability and I think, you know, if you were to try to um, assess some of the big themes of 5G, one of them is, is a little bit of a revisitation of what goes over wires and what goes over wireless. Right. And so just as you were saying uh, at the beginning of the podcast that, hey, 
earlier, you know, I can kind of watch video on, on LTE. And of course you could, and we have gigabit LTE. Uh, you know, we are able to deliver significant performance with LTE, but at the same time, the scale and the number of simultaneous users and the type of content, um, even the resolution of the devices we have today uh, is better than it was five years ago. Right. And with 5G, an example of that capacity you get with 5G millimeter wave is incredibly high because you have huge amount of bandwidth and you're able to reuse that bandwidth in these hotspot small cells in a way that you could be reusing it a couple hundred meters away. So the overall you know, capacity in, in, a, in a volume of space is incredibly high. And so whether that's a university campus, whether it's um, a corporate headquarters, or whether it's a downtown core, there's many different ways that millimeter will bring huge capacity there. And then, so that's an example where it's gonna change uh, what, you know, people are no longer searching for ethernet to plug in their laptops. They're actually carrying around an always connected PC, could have a Qualcomm Snapdragon power efficient processor in it, as well as a 5G modem, because it's gonna change the way people interact with information, change how much data they're able to get over wireless. And that's an example where that theme is many years in the making, but the 5G technology advances made it feasible, made it economically realizable. Yeah. And, and I would say what's interesting, you might have been following um, some of the announcements about fixed wireless. So mm -hmm. historically, people in the United States, you would have DSL, you would have cable modems. In other countries, you have different choices. Well, all of a sudden, the fact that we have so much bandwidth for 5G and, and, and high efficiency communication links, people are saying, well, I can put a fixed wireless access. I have this terminal, you know, uh, outside my home, or I can even have it near a window. Right. And I can now deliver broadband to that home or to that small office or to that home office. And so this transformation of if there is 5G connectivity, it can absolutely serve rural, rural communities. It can serve uh, also urban scenarios and it can serve individual homes, you can serve small offices, and it's very competitive in terms of how much data you can get. And so that's an example where Qualcomm's been working to improve the range of that communication. You might see a lot of interesting content on, you know, the millimeter wave fixed wireless range and high efficiency links. Right. And that's a great example where the, the promise of 5G is now being realized in a different way, where it's also providing connectivity to homes and small businesses in addition to smartphones. And that's something that's beginning and it's only going to continue to expand as there's more millimeter wave deployment, as there's more people looking at, you know, competitive alternatives in ter terms of providing connectivity uh, to those small homes and those offices and these the rural communities. So it's something where that the technology that was developed as it's getting scale is going to address more and more markets as well over time. Well, that was kind of the one of the interesting things. I was watching the beginnings of, uh, of fixed wireless broadband, and it was difficult. The first couple of companies that tried it were working with millimeter wave. They had the problems of distance, getting around corners, what have you. And that seems to have been overcome in just the last few years with some with figuring out how to beam form around corners with you mentioned the satellite delivery yep. um i saw somebody is trying to deliver it using a flying a solar powered flying wing these are all things that i don't think anybody anticipated 
five years ago. So so are we going to be seeing more of this stuff, do you think? Are we going to be seeing more exotic ways to to deliver 5G broadband? And, and I think we'll still consider, like we'll continue to see a huge amount of the regular way of delivering it, you know, with, yeah. with power efficient, energy efficient networks. But I do think we will continue to see more and more creative ways as well. So, you know, we kind of term that topology, you know, not to be confused with topography, but topology a little bit, the way the network is is designed and deployed. And so one of the other interesting things about 5G is it's it's more plug and play. So you hear the word that it's being disaggregated and virtualized. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, was done in a, a specific hardware unit can now be done on general purpose hardware and the interfaces are now open. So there can be more vendors participating, providing different pieces, whether it's the radio unit, the distributed unit, or even focusing on different layers of the software stack for the network operation and the overall orchestration. So you can look at deploying a 5G network and you can look at then the the disaggregation of the radio access network, the RAN. Right. And you can also look at virtualization, which is kind of a software term, a little bit about, you know, where the code is running and it, what type of software it's running on. And you can look at, 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 you know, the overall ability to update and and deploy that software, you know, terms if you look at, you know, Kubernetes or you look at the overall ability uh, for software to be more plug and play and more upgradable. Right. And And so what's interesting with that, you combine it with the fact that there's also different ways of deploying these nodes. So you can say, well, I have a, a base station and I have a device. Well, what's interesting, we now have, for example, cars talking to cars, that's V to V. Right. Um, well, we can also extend that side link channel into some other uh, applications where it could be, for example, a phone talking to a phone or a device talking to a device, or it could be in an industrial setup where one of the things we were d- demonstrating this year was the ability for, if we look even in a factory setting to use this side link channel mm-hmm. uh, where you don't have to go through the base station, but from one device to another device, uh, it could be a robot talking to a, a moving arm and they could be exchanging information at very low latency. And so that's an example of the topology where I can plug and play different pieces. There's something called integrated access and backhaul. And so access is, for example, when a device is accessing the network, and backhauls typically when the, the network element, the base station, is sending the bits up. But I can now have it where two base stations communicate directly with each other mm-hmm. over backhaul so that one of them doesn't have to be connected, you know, to the Internet. It can be connected via the other one. So right. you can kind of like daisy chain or, you know, hop from one to another. And so integrated access and backhaul is an example of a technology that, you know, Qualcomm brought into release 16. It got improved mm-hmm. in release 17. It's something that changes how you can deploy the network so you can have it be a more flexible deployment. You can put a cell site somewhere uh, knowing that as long as you had power, it was able to reconfigure and, and basically gain access so it can performance role for the network. And so similarly, you say, well, I, if I could put that on a drone, you know, or a UAV, then all of a sudden, hey, that could, could be providing, you know, that radio unit functionality. Right. Uh, and, and of course, it could. So then it's just a question of the creativity and the price point and the power consumption. Yeah, of course, I could do those things. Um, and what's exciting about 5G is there's so many more possibilities because we have then more hardware platforms being deployed. 
We have the, the, the fact that the software is more modularized, so you don't have to get everything from, from the same vendor, but you can have more participants in that ecosystem. Right. And, and so then when we look at the densification of 5G, so there's, a, you know, if you look historically, how big cell, how, how big you thought cell sites were 20 years ago versus 10 years ago versus five years ago, they've been getting smaller. Right. Um, partly because there's been a need to add capacity. And then also we're using higher frequency bands, which can give even more bandwidth and provide that local connectivity. And so over time, uh, cellular networks have been getting lower powered, but basically being able to deliver more capacity because you're getting closer to your, your transmission reception point. Mm-hmm. These multi, these TRPs, they're called transmission reception points. Yeah. So you can start like spreading out these, these um, you know, radio heads or remote radio heads. So the, the notion of the network topology has been on a continuum of evolution. And for Qualcomm, that's always been an exciting thing. For us as research scientists, we're always very excited. Like, wow, we could actually, you know, improve if we look at capacity per unit volume. Like you're trying to provide capacity in a convention center with 50,000 visitors generating this much data. And, and we also are bringing in a lot of IoT connectivity. And so we're going to have this much data exchange. So you can look at that volumetrically and then you say, well, what's the best way to deliver that connectivity? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well, how are the different nodes participating in the network? How are they self-adjusting so that they're you know, accommodating for the presence of each other? And so they're able to uh, adjust and adapt based on the fact that you have this, this overall framework of these you know, RAN intelligent controllers. And so it's kind of an exciting time where that ability to cost effectively deploy 5G has really improved. And as all of these technology vectors have been improving, and then you can put things together in more creative ways. And I think well, we see that as, as kind of going hand in hand with this IoT expansion. Well, see, this is like the engineering walk's dream. I could do so many cool things in so many different ways. Tell me what you want to do, and I've got options, right? But I don't know. I'm thinking of it as the guy who like walks into the you know grocery aisle, and it's like, oh wow, there's honey bunches of oats, there's almond honey bunches of oats, there's strawberry honey bunches of oats, there's maple. You know, too many choices. Just tell me what to do. Yeah, do you get and, that. And, and, yeah. And that's a fair point. And I think it's one of the reasons that even for Qualcomm as a technology leader, we have found it very useful to make those more prescriptive recommendations, right? So, uh-huh. you know, that's why the question is, well, what are you trying to do, right? So what do you want in a breakfast cereal? Uh, in addition to having something you want to eat at seven in the morning and, and, and presumably you have to eat it relatively quickly and hopefully you have milk in the fridge, you know, they're kind of this joint finding with the customer and even the customer's customer. And I think it's one of the reasons that if we look at 5G and the evolution of 5G, and and I was working on 5G at the very, very beginnings, one of the interesting things, we have things like, you, you know, basically ACIA, we look at, you know, how 5G is for factories, or there's something called 5G AA for Automotive Association, where or Automotive Alliance, where Qualcomm was one of the founding members of that, making sure, well, we know that 5G connectivity is going to be incredibly important for vehicles. So let's get a bunch of companies together who are in the automotive industry, to talk to some of the companies who are 5G experts. And so we can have specific dedicated discussions on 5G and automotive with stakeholders from both of those industries who wouldn't typically have talked a lot 
right. in prior generations. Mm -hmm. And so in 5G, we saw that happening for industrial. It's one of the reasons that we have even at Qualcomm an industrial IoT testbed based on our discussions with the broader ecosystem. We want to see what we can do with it. And we want to bring our use cases to you. Um, and that's one of the ways that we've figured out the role. Hey, we need to have accurate positioning um, and accurate time synchronization in order for us to do A, B, C, and D. Yeah. So I would say there's more collective um, discussions among specific industry groups so that they are doing that, that down selecting of this you know, myriad of possibilities. And well, let's talk about the first five that are highest priority and let's make sure those work well before we talk about the 21st. And we absolutely agree with that perspective because it also helps prioritize and get scale earlier. Uh, because if you try to do everything, then in some sense, maybe you've done nothing. And so one of the important things is, and you could argue that even feeds into what was into the 3GBP release phasing. You know, what went into release 15 was enough to get mobile broadband absolutely deployed and started. Mm -hmm. What went into release 16? Well, let's further improve that based on the latest technologies. But then let's also get the initial underpinnings for connecting industry, connecting vehicles. Right, so that was in release 16. So if you were arguing 5G was going to be eight or nine releases long, well, already in the first two releases, you did a lot of mobile broadband and you did a lot of verticals. And that was that value and that prioritization was based on many different industry discussions yeah. um, that were basically taking place, you know, 2017, you know, all the way through through now in terms of, hey, what's what do we really need? And let's try to figure this out. Let's make sure we're developing technology that's actually going to get deployed. And so it's interesting, if you're outside of the ecosystem, you might think, oh yeah, it's pretty abstract, a bunch of crazy ideas and driven strictly by long-term technologists. And I would say, not really. There's actually a lot of pragmatic people. And even obviously I had the R&D team, we have a very pragmatic approach. We absolutely do long-term risky stuff. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we wanna design stuff that's gonna get deployed. And right. so we spent a lot of time discussing with other companies discussing with Qualcomm's customers, discussing even internally with our product management teams, okay, what are the priorities to help get this, um, you know, deployed and into the hands of more people and more industries. And some of that deployment is targeting trials because they want to use it and figure out, hey, I used it for ABC, but I also figured out, I never thought I'd do D on this, but D uh, turned out to be more important than B. Uh, so the new priority is ADC. And, and we would have known that unless we did a trial. So it's one of the reasons at Qualcomm that we invest early and do these prototypes, do these trials ahead of commercialization. And then we work with the external ecosystem to align priorities and also have a very open-ended discussion on use cases and value. And, and that's, I would say, the foundational point of 5G and IoT, that the value isn't necessarily just in the bits per second, the value is in well, what are you connecting? And so if you're making a particular technology more flexible or better runtime, you know, less time between maintenance, mm -hmm. it lasts longer, well, that can have a huge financial benefit that is significantly larger than, uh, oh, I didn't sign the device up for a data plan. You know, you weren't trying to provide streaming video to that robot. You were trying to make sure that that robot was providing functionality to the industrial environment in which it was deployed. And maybe the we also look at critical uptime 
uh, even when we talk of logistic centers, and that's a huge physical scale. I'm, I think until you walk through them, uh, you might hear say, oh, it's, it's baseball or football field sized, you know, warehouses. Yeah, bigger, significantly larger than a football field, right? They're measured in acres, and next thing you know, they're measured in square miles. Yeah. And, and so then all of a sudden, you're going to have handoffs. You're going to have the same sort of scenario you do as you're driving down the road, taking your cellular connectivity for granted as you hand it off maybe 20 times on a given drive, and you wouldn't necessarily even know it. Um, and whether you were in a voice call and they didn't know it, or whether someone in the back seat was was watching video on their phone and didn't know that they handed off. Well, the same way when you're providing connectivity in an industrial kind of, whether it's a container port, a logistics center, mm. same thing. You want connectivity over that space. You're not going to draw, hey, don't, whatever you do, don't turn left there. You're going to lose, you lose connectivity. Well, then why do we even have land there if I can't drive there? So that 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 area of connectivity is kind of important to how we look at at you know designing and evolving 5G. And yeah. and so that's one of the interesting things is our industrial trials where we engage with the ecosystem. There's a lot of good discussions because people are saying like, wow, if I was connected, then ABC or maybe I'm you know if I could right. just get that. I'm only going all the way out there to get this one reading. If I could have that reading, uh, just be relayed back. Uh, more frequently than a I can save time and b we can maybe uh, just be much more efficient in our operation mm-hmm. and so I think that's one of the the exciting changes is we're in that pivot from the value proposition and and the way we would look at you know the total market size as an industry to connectivity it's starting to talk about industrial transformation and digital transformation and then that value is not just about connecting people to their data and their workplaces, but then just connecting and improving um, overall efficiency and overall you know, uptime for the factory, yeah. those sorts of things. So we've been talking for a good long time and I don't want to keep it too much longer, but I want to ask a couple of fun questions. Uh, what what have you seen recently that came that just came out of left field that you just, oh, I never even thought about that. Have you had any of those recently? I would say, let me think about that one. Like, I guess for me, I would say a couple of them relate to when I was at first engaging recently in some of these logistics center things where <laughs> the the physical scale of that and the sort of number of people who are, you know, working in that sort of facility and this this scale of that really forced me to re-examine some of my kind of assumptions when we look at scale and, you know, traditional cellular operators would, back in the day, they talk of the busy hour, which was like the, the rush hour commutes or in the morning and afternoon, and you needed to have enough capacity in that sector, you know, at 5.30 p.m. on a Tuesday, uh, or you're going to have a lot of frustrated customers. Or they say, well, during that baseball game, uh, you got to make sure there's going to be 50,000 people in the stadium and they're going to be uploading pictures in addition to, you know, watching the actual game. And so those were well-known ones. And I would say what's for me been uh, a kind of an eye-opener very recently was then the scale of these logistics centers mm-hmm. and just how big, maybe they've gotten a lot bigger than they were 10 years ago. Presumably well, somebody... Cool. Uh, we've got we've got one that's going up. It's an Amazon uh, site. Uh, I've got uh, a family member who's actually working on the logistics of building it. Six. It's four stories, but six 
hundred football fields worth of space. And I was like, that, that's a yeah, small hard, city. Yeah, it's hard to wrap your mind around that other than in some you know science fiction movie scenario. Um, and, and so then imagine um, how much data is generated there today in 2021 yeah. versus how much data maybe is going to be generated in 2025. Um, and that's the part of the scale begets scale. Mm-hmm. And, and so one of the things we're trying to do is plan for that explosion of the data needs, but in a way that those initial investments make sense. Uh, and so that's one of the interesting things when you're starting to do these calculations and you realize like, wait a sec, uh, this is huge. Okay, so then let's back it out and let's make sure it makes sense for the first few years and it makes sense for the next few years. And just that scale of the number of devices, the type of connectivity. And, and I think what's interesting is you bring on then that additional element of the machine learning and the data processing, where that's all of a sudden, it's like a turbo boost in the amount of gener- data that's being generated. And so all of a sudden you say, well, let's send that all back to the cloud. That's when it just doesn't make sense anymore because you don't right. have, even in a wired connectivity scenario, you don't want to be sending all the way uh, that back to some you know cloud center, and, and anyways, so I think that's an interesting one. You have to process it locally to get the right scale. And with so, six hundred football fields worth of space, you could dedicate one or two football fields to your own data center. Yeah, exactly. There, you, your edge compute scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so what do you want to see? What do you, what's in your? Okay, you mentioned science fiction. Nobody mentions science fiction unless they read it or watch it. So. In your what what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for like the Google glasses that let you take virtual tours through the Louvre? What are you waiting for? I mean, I am waiting for so the consumer and scale for XR. So what I'm excited about augmented virtual reality is that, like I said, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with well, why am I going to wear this thing on my head if there's no interesting content or it's not adding value to my day? I don't need to be, you know, I don't really need to know if coffee's on sale. You know, I have, you know, so <laughs> that's I need, the first thing, right? Yes. So I kind of want to know something that's more contextually relevant to me. And what I want during, um, you know, business hours when I'm working hard is different than what I want, you know, Sunday at two in the afternoon. Right. And so that perspective of the the content and the generation of that content and the value of, of those um, application scenarios, in my view, is so rich. And so providing the connectivity for that in addition to the compute for that, where it's low power, it's energy efficient, it's happening at scale. Um, I think that's what I'm really looking forward to is, is seeing that play out in the next five years. And we're already seeing the initial starts of it. But what I'm really looking forward to is that scale mm-hmm. and that kind of growth continuing such that because then it all of a sudden the the types of content and the richness of that is going to, I think, dwarf what we're probably, we're probably underestimating that significantly in terms of the value of all of that. Right. And I think then all of a sudden, whether you're talking education, whether you're talking, you know, medical data, whether you're talking, you know, entertainment, um, whether you're talking, you know, professional utility, then all of a sudden that access to the information and the content that gets, you know, tied into your physical um location you know that part of its immersive you know augmented reality so reality is already pretty awesome obviously but then you start augmenting it in the right way 
then that's pretty interesting stuff. And I think, so I see whether it's someone biking and they're going to be wearing AR goggles just because they're going to be getting warnings. Like, oh my God, this car is like literally, for whatever reason, going way too fast to stop that stop sign, even though they're supposed to. Uh, right, you would get right. that warning. And so then that point of being a little more predictive and in a way that makes sense for you know human form factor. So I really view it's the transformation of the human computer interface. And um, and it's going to you know happen slowly and happen quickly at the same time. And so watching those two interplay between the speed and the and the scale, I think that's what I'm most looking forward to, and I think I'm going to find most fascinating, um, you know, from many different angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to the time. I, I'm one of those. I, I would love to be walking through a strange city and have like something pop up and just say, "This is where King Kong fell in 1933." <laughs> it's 34th and Fifth Avenue take a moment and just, you know, whatever, you know, that exactly. would be fun to, for, you know, and I'm sure, you know, everybody's mileage may vary, but I can see a richness of information that's, that's pertinent to each person, right? Exactly. No. And I think that, yeah. I, and I think that's the part of that personalization, that, that point of it's going to get, as you say, personal to you, it's going to add value to you. Uh, it's also going to be done in a way that preserves your privacy and your notion of, you know, what you want to have shared and what you don't want to have shared. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the interesting things when we look at machine learning and algorithms and algorithms at scale and term like federated learning, you might have heard of where learning is happening, yes. these, you know, edge points and information is being exchanged. So there's a lot of interesting um, models where, yeah, it is going to be more, more localized and more specialized, but at the same time, it's going to benefit from the scale that you're not the only one who might find this interesting. Yeah. John, I learned something today. I also had fun. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brian. Great discussion. That was Qualcomm Vice President of Engineering, John Smee. So, the Internet of Everything. Electronics and sensors can go into so many places, but there are some places electronics don't go because they're likely to get bounced around too much. You really should not bend silicon. But Think about where electronics could go if they were built on something that was actually flexible. There are quite a few companies trying to build circuitry on flexible substrates. We'd like to point you to a story we recently did on a company called Pragmatic IC that is printing ICs on plastic, which promises to make them both cheap and durable for applications such as smart labels, smart sensors, and medical wearables. Visit this episode's webpage and look on the left for the link to the story. And that wraps this episode of the Weekly Briefing. Thank you very much for listening. We'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Power Integrations. Visit this episode's webpage to find links to videos from Power Integrations explaining green energy, gallium nitride semiconductors, and other subjects associated with advanced power technology. Power Integrations VP Doug Bailey was our guest on our July 23rd podcast episode. It's called Life, the Universe, and Power ICs. It's a pretty cool episode. Bailey talks about the biggest waste almost every engineer is engaged in today. Give it a listen. This podcast is available on all the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us via our website at eetimes.com slash podcasts, 
you'll find a transcript along with links to the stories we mentioned. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Brian Santo. See you next week.